Welcome to the Inner Athlete Podcast, where we discuss all things youth athlete development and youth mentoring. Uh, welcome back to the Inner Athlete Podcast. Um, I've got a, a friendly guest here, um, an old friend, an old acquaintance, um, Mr. Ian Miller. Um, Ian, do you just want to give us a quick rundown of who you are, um, what you do, and we'll get deep into today's topics of you know, youth athlete development. Um, so basically, SNC coach have been in the industry now for uh, nine years. Um, went to uni uh, up in in Ballarat. Once I realised um, couldn't wasn't going to make it as a as an athlete, um, stumbled into SNC and um, yeah, just sort of fell in love with sort of working with athletes and training people and and that sort of thing. And um, have sort of uh, manoeuvred my way through. Um, jobs in here and, and overseas in the industry and um, yeah now landed a gig for the last five years at, um, at Brighton Grammar School. Yeah and that's where we've initially met as well yeah. um, and I kind of want to go back to that because you mentioned something really interesting when you got the I guess the the head role there and you mentioned something that was there's like two philosophies that you had and I think you kind of continue on with that. It was like, you know, you're, you're training for performance or training, you know, for the sport specifically, but you're training for life. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when the school employed me, they made it pretty clear. So being a boys only school, um, they do a lot of work in positive masculinity and, and well-being in that space. And they made it really clear that it wasn't, well, they wanted the SNC work to not only be for the athletes at the school, but for the every boy. So um, what we sort of came up with was, you know, something which um, is, you know, is out there a bit in the literature and that sort of thing as well, but basically active for life. Um, so, so what that means to us is basically, you know, can we make sure that when the boys leave school, they've got the skills to maintain a, a fit and healthy lifestyle. Can they walk into any gym and um, know what they're doing um, and, you know, be able to put together a, a program or, um, you know, create a session and, and perform it and execute it health, um, or sorry, safely um, and get the most out of it. Uh, and then obviously the train to compete, we wanted to make sure that our students and our athletes um, they had the skills to be physically ready to um, take, you know, or to, to go to that next level when they get to that next program, you know, didn't want them to be to, to be starting again or anything like that. So that's sort of, yeah, our our philosophy and, and how we do things. Yeah, because I basically, I basically stole it. Yeah. Um, and we kind of use that because we work with a lot of high school kids here. And then obviously some of them will move on to a late program. Some of them will just, you know, finish high school and maybe go to uni and do their own thing as well. So it's kind of like setting them up for the next stage of their life. So whether it is, you know, if they're just playing club level and they decide to go to uni or something like that, at least they'll have the skills in order to, you know, properly construct a program, perform it safely and get the desired adaptations out of it. But also... Um, and they'll be able to do it in a way where they're not going to burn themselves out at the same time as well. But then the performance perspective, obviously, you know, you train them to perform to a certain level, whether it's competition or even if they're going to the elite pathways, you actually send them up for when they achieve or get into those programs because there's going to be a certain expectation that they have, you know, certain skills or down pat or at least been exposed to those skills at the earliest stages so then they can get up to speed relatively quickly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and... Um, now, you've been there for five years now. Obviously, there was a disruption with COVID. How did you see the development 
of the year sevens to with a year 12 now. So how have you seen that development from the year sevens all the way up to year 12? And how do you kind of like navigate that, you know, that time when they're in year eight and year nine, uh, you know, or whatever, whatever years it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been really interesting, like, because being a school and, and being um, teenagers, they come in and out of your program. Um, so that's probably something where it's been a growth for me as a coach. Um, sort of came in um, based off my time in the UK and England, had sort of a philosophy and idea of what I wanted the program to look like. And so we've we basically got a syllabus and a curriculum which, which I've developed um, over time and sort of had the program, you know, basically planned out from year seven through to year 12 and, and what that looks like. And, um, Probably initially it was very structured and, you know, they had to hit all their phases and key competencies and, and that sort of thing. But what becomes pretty clear is you'll get a Year 7 kid that's super keen for eight weeks and then all of a sudden winter hits or, um, you know, he gets a new interest and he disappears for six to nine months and then he rolls back in again at Year 8. And so um, it's been probably, yeah, it's been an interesting process that like because probably initially when I first came in I'm like oh it's you know mucking up our um, progressions but um, what um, sort of I've learned to do is be adaptable with it and you know understand that when they do come back or um, say when they do get to back end of year eight year nine and they're going through peak height velocity and um, all of a sudden they've forgotten how to squat it's um, not the end of the world mm. we've just got to create an environment where for lack of a better term they can fail safely and we just are there to help and navigate them through because you know there's a, there's a few kids that um, like haven't missed and when they come in they, you know, they pretty much come in every like one to two times a week for five years and you can see how good their patterns are now the strength and size and that sort of stuff they've put in but then there's also the kids where they've been in and out a bit and which that's okay too and but it's also been able to be patient and when they come back in after being out for a while um they're just trying to you know, re-engage them and um, yeah, just basically navigating them through. And what, what we've found is that being just being patient um, and not sort of fretting if they do go backwards a little bit because it's natural, mm. um, just to stick the course. And then when it gets to that year 11 and 12 position, what I've found is that their patterns have sort of come good again, if, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, it's just been that ability to sort of stay patient with it. Yeah, because it's quite interesting because we have members here that will be consistent, but then for and then we have other members here they'll train for like six months straight, but then they'll back off for whatever. Um, then they'll you know come back again as well. And it's like, I guess you have to go through that relearning phase, but that relearning phase is a lot shorter. Um, then you can build upon that as well in terms of the the actual development. Obviously, those who are consistent over the five year period, they're gonna get you know better outcomes. It's just kind of natural. But even then, for those who aren't as consistent, they're still getting outcomes as well. So you're not trying to like force them to be like the, the kids that come in inconsistently. Ideally, that's what we want as coaches. We want everyone to be the best and take advantage of the program and just be bought in the whole process. But in the reality of working with other people, that the reality is that not everyone's going to be as consistent as you hope for. You might have 10, 20% of your kids doing that. That's great. Then everyone else is just like 
not piss farting, but they'll kind of have like their stints where they're doing really well, and some of them will back off um, for whatever yeah. it may be as well. I think it's a it's a really interesting point because I th- the thing I found probably initially um, almost went too hard with trying to get them to come in and be consistent because I, I think I don't think there's a, a magic answer but with, what I've found with um, the kids I've had the best outcomes the, the really simple reason why they've had really good outcomes is because they've been consistent but the flip side is they've also got to figure it out themselves like I found the more I've said oh you've got to come here so go into your local gym or um, you know and sort of pushed them on that being boys they've gone nah I'm going to go and try and do it my way mm. and having that confidence to almost let them go and trust your process and then when they do come back they go oh hang on these guys actually did know what they were talking about mm. and um, that's probably been a bit of a shift to sort of help with our outcomes if that makes sense yeah so you got to go get them going through the Dunning-Kruger yeah Get them hit um, the peak of Mount Stupid, and then unfortunately hits a sharp fall from there. But that's good. I think that's just showing that emo- um, that maturity in their actual development. It's like, hey, this person's actually here to help me. Um, they know what they're doing. They've done it for years. They're doing it with everyone else around me. Then their awareness becomes a lot more heightened in terms of if I'm want to get more out of the gym, I've got to know someone who knows how to get more out of the gym, essentially. So then, as a result, they're going to come to you. Then they're learning of whatever the movements are it's going to be a lot faster but then they're going to be like oh i probably should have stuck here or they're going to be questioning themselves but that's that's healthy i think some some boys will have to learn the hard way where some some athletes or some boys will in this case will just naturally be like yep whatever you tell me i'll do it because they've just kind of had that whole mentality growing up so they might have played sport the whole time and the coaches told them what to do the whole time it's like yep i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it do it and then and as a result they just get to where they need to be and they're just happy to be told what to do uh, throughout the whole process obviously you know you're balancing those personalities as well yeah sure. now with with brian grammar so what are the sports are they really known for what are the kind of their, their key sports yeah so from a from a summer point of view definitely rowing um would be would be our number one. Um, invest quite heavily in probably cricket um, as well, um, and and tennis. They're probably the main three summer sports. Uh, from a winter sport point of view, definitely AFL. Uh, rugby has become really popular at the school. Oh, that's uh, good. We've yeah. invested um, quite heavily in some scholarship kids and that sort of thing there. Um, and then. Probably soccer as well. They'd probably be the big six, but I think there's 18 sports that we cover at the school, so there is a wide sort of range of options for the boys. That's good. It's quite diverse based on the individual or um, team sports. Now, how do you go about, I know a school term, it can be quite messy in terms of balancing workloads. They've got exams, um, assessments. They've got their own lives to live. They've probably got extracurricular, especially being um, a private school. How do you go about helping them best navigate that in order to try and continually drive adaptations in the performance perspective? How do you go about managing that with the coaches and the athletes themselves? Yeah, so we, we um, as a program, we're heavily invested with our PE program. So our PE um, really value the SNC and, and what we do. So we get the opportunity in, in Year 9 in particular to sort of do a four-week block with the students where we um, 
go through some strength programming. We go through um, a speed and power session, an injury prevention session, um, and we sort of speak about training loads and because um, a lot of them still at that stage are playing two games of sport in a weekend and mm. like what that means for your body and, and how you recover and that sort of thing. So we do sort of put a lot of time in trying to educate them themselves. We've got some tools set up around the gym, so there's like a weekly planner that they can grab so really common that we've had um boys from sandy dragons and that sort of thing come in and go all right um you know i want to get fit for this pre-season so we'll, we'll try and sit down with them get them to look at their week and um understand um that they don't need to be doing six running sessions all right if you get these done here prioritize some strength here make sure you get some recovery days i remember there was one kid that came and showed me his weekly schedule and he had something like 26 hours of structured activity and like it was like Jesus. um sort of nearly fell off my chair so we, like we, we try to as best we can sit down with the boys and educate them on um sometimes less is more and thinking about recovery and and how to plan their weeks and then we'll also chat with um coaches um as well particularly from like a rowing point of view like some of their workloads are really high for a for a student athlete um, and that, that's the sport you can easily measure as well. Yeah. So um, the, the biggest success, I guess, as well, is when we've had the engagement from the coaches and, and by and large, they've been, been pretty good as well. And, and what's been the result of that? Basically, just being able to better educate the athletes and working more in conjunction with the coaches. Yeah, look, I, I feel like from referencing our trainer compete before, um, if we're looking at our AFL guys, like I feel the ones that have got drafted or even the ones that have ended up in VFL, um, like I'm pretty proud that every boy has played senior footy pretty quickly because, you know, I feel like we've set them up with a good understanding of how to train, how to look after their body, um, and they were able to, as we sort of wanted, excel in that program once they got there. Um, but we've had some good results um, with teams obviously like winning premiership in footy. We had a head of the river um, two years ago. So like, we've had the team results, which are obviously great but um, and great for the school and, and great for the community. But, um, yeah, I feel like we've had some really good results for the students as well. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads into the next part of, you know, when they do transition to that higher level, at least then they can actually more focus on or they've developed that skills of better self-managing themselves. So when they do transition where I guess there's at, at school, there's a lot of support. And then when they go to like high, when they go to like the professional setting or semi-professional setting, yes, there is a lot of support, but you're left to your own demise to some degree because technically mentally there's still kids at the end of the day or teenagers so they left their own demise in that sense so at least you've kind of set them up in order how to better manage themselves in a professional setting which which you mentioned before they've been able to play you know senior games you know relatively quickly yeah exactly no i couldn't agree more i think you summed that up perfectly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try i'll do what i can with what i got um no, that's really good. I think um, I think that's probably the key thing is like is that we're creating the recipe for success later on down the track. Where I guess in what you said before, you're kind of teaching them how to fail in an environment where they can learn and develop, and they've got that support network around them. Then you're kind of like you test they're they're testing that in their new environment, and if they succeed, that's great. You've done what you've needed to, or they've done what they've needed to in order to be successful in that environment. 
um, then more than likely they're going to have a, a, the longevity in the career is going to be far greater. You know, with AFL, I think AFL is like what three years the yeah, average career four, now. Yep. So ideally, you know, you want to be playing, you know, five or six. You know, yeah. you know, by the end of your third year, you know, that's when you start getting a good paycheck as well. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's the thing for me, and um, like it's it's interesting when you see things that are yeah, we got a, an athlete drafted. That's fantastic. All right, but have you set them up for success? And that's, I don't know. Sometimes maybe that's controversial. I don't know, but I'm pretty big on making sure. Yeah, it's great they got drafted, but I don't want them out of the system in three or four years. You know, I want them to make the most of their opportunity. Um, and obviously, part of that will come down to skill and their competitiveness and all that kind of thing. But you know, if we can set them up physically where they can maximise their opportunity with what they've been given. Um, then, then I think that's really important. Yeah, because I guess the NBA is probably the best example of like players failing to launch. Where you get, you know, number one, probably no, number one to ten in previous history, they just don't. Their career doesn't really launch. Same thing with the NFL, AFL to some degree. You, they have like their first couple of years, they're okay, they're pretty good. Would you actually consider them like a high level draft pick? Probably not. If you look back at it at the end yeah. of the day, so it's. I think it. It's coming down to, I think it's more of a lesson for the parents on this one, is that what happens behind the scenes, which will manifest onto what's happening on the field or in the gym, which will manifest um, in competition, which will obviously manifest later on in terms of increasing your likelihood of getting selected or drafted or you know whatever it may be in terms of your sporting career. Uh, it's really good. Um, I think yeah, from a sporting perspective, especially from a youth athlete development, um, how have you, because you've been in the industry for quite a while now and, you know, especially in Melbourne, how have you seen the whole like youth athlete development kind of like starting to play out now? Because you work in a school setting. I work, I used, well, we obviously used to work together and then now I'm working in a private setting. How have you kind of seen the buy-in from school, um, from Brian Grammer specifically? Have, has that actually changed from when it first started to where it is now? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, from Brighton Grammar's point of view, I think um, it's it's definitely started to shift. I think maybe at the start it was a, a nice to have, but now they're sort of really starting to see the value of the program and, and what it can do to the school. Um, it's probably something as me as a person um, needs to get better at. And we've sort of done a bit of stuff lately is promoting what we do, um, it's probably something that doesn't come supernatural to me, but um, the school has sort of become aware of some, like how important, I guess, the, the S&C program's been and, and what we've done with our sort of rowing and football teams and having that success uh, and how integral we've been as part of that. Um, so they've sort of started, I think, um, in probably the last... 18 months to 24 months really understand how important that is and um, you know they've invested in a second full-time coach for us in the last six months so I think they are starting to see that importance and um, like a lot of these schools um, once more schools start investing in it um, they don't want to be left behind so mm. I think at the moment where from an APS point of view we're definitely I think a leader um, but um, I know other schools are starting to invest more and um, put more money into it, which um, will only be a good thing for um, other coaches and that sort of stuff out there as, as hopefully it'll create more opportunities. Keep an eye out on the second instalment of our conversation. 
you want to stay updated on the latest episodes, make sure to subscribe to Inner Athlete on both YouTube and Spotify.